Welcome to the Bjerknes podcast. Today we're giving you a three meal snack through the writings of SciSnack. SciSnack is a group led by scientists at the University of Bergen with the objective of improving writing skills of young and early career scientists around the world. You can read all these and more at SciSnack.com. Links to these and their sources in the episode notes. How can evaporation of rain calm down the weather? A snack from Christine Flaquet, Hauerlan. Mid-latitude weather is highly dominated by cyclones that typically form over the ocean and intensify towards land. When hitting land, these cyclones can have high impact on infrastructure and people's daily lives. Within the cyclones, several complex processes and interactions occur such as moist effects related to clouds and rain. To accurately represent the puzzling picture of mid-latitude cyclones, we therefore need a good understanding of how the moist processes influence the cyclone's development and intensification. One of the most important ingredients for cyclone intensification is cloud condensation. When cyclones move over the open water, Moist air is transported into the cyclone before it rises and cools at higher altitudes. As moist air cools, it condenses into cloud droplets. During the phase change from vapor to liquid form, latent heat is released. The cyclone thereby intensifies. But clouds are also often associated with rain which may have opposite effect on the cyclone development. While rain falls towards the ground, the surrounding air usually gets warmer and some rain evaporates, since the phase change from liquid to vapor is the opposite of condensation. The ambient air is now cooled instead of heated, just as wet clothes make you cold while they dry on your body. But how does the below cloud cooling associated with the evaporation of rain influence the cyclone development? Since the cold air is heavier than warm air, evaporative cooling at low levels weakens the upward transport of moist maritime air from the surface to the cloud layer. The consequence is less cloud formation. Since clouds enhances the cyclone growth, a reduction in of clouds means less cyclone intensification. Hence, evaporation of rain slows down the cyclone development by weakening the intensifying effects of clouds. Evaporative effects on mid-latitude cyclones are weak compared to the direct effects of cloud condensation. But with high ambitions for the advances of atmospheric sciences, we also need to know the smaller pieces of the complex puzzle of mid-latitude weather. Evaporation of rain is one of these pieces, and there are still many aspects of it that we do not yet understand. Reference this study, Hoerlan and Spengler, 2019. Terrain and Climate Models a snack written by Maria Pontopidan. Locals observe large differences in precipitation on short distances. 
and people have done so for generations. They witnessed the terrain's large influence on rain, especially in mountainous areas. Here in western Norway, the air is often very moist when it approaches the mountains. Ahead of the mountain base, the air is forced upwards. As the air rises, it cools and some of the water condenses, leading to a large amount of droplets. We know that even small hills can influence where the precipitation falls, but the official observation network is too sparse to catch these very local variations. Therefore, as an addition, we use numerical models to estimate precipitation distribution. A numerical model is a picture of the world in squares. Models that include the entire globe usually have squares the sizes of roughly 100 kilometers times 100 kilometers. This put, for example, Bergen and Vos in the same square, which implies that they have the same climate. This is definitely not the case. Therefore, when we wish to study small-scale phenomena, as terrain-induced precipitation often is, we need considerably smaller squares. The model calculation takes much longer time as there are many more squares, but the end results open up for many more details. The advantage of having many smaller squares is that the complex terrain we see outside the window is no more realistically represented in the model. Before, there was one square with one altitude at the Bergen-Voss point. Now, that square is divided into 100 times 100 squares with 10,000 different altitudes. The terrain in the model becomes more detailed with increased amount of squares. We can see deep valleys and the high mountains, which forces the air to rise and lower. And remember, this is one of the factors we know is important for precipitation distribution. With one square, the precipitation is the same in the whole square. With many squares, we open up for local differences. One should think that the more smaller squares, the better. But is it always so? We have investigated just that and found that smaller squares are not always better. Reference Pontopidan et al. 2017. We studied a heavy precipitation event in western Norway and found that adjusting square size from 9 km to 3 km improved the model considerably. The 3 km squares gave much more realistic rainfall, but when we reduced to 1 km squares, this did not improve much. Why? We believe this is related to how the weather model represents the terrain. It is clearly less detailed in 1 km simulations than in the remaining two 3 km and 1 km square models. The 1 km terrain, however, has to be smoothed, so the weather model does not crash, but is still more detailed than with 3 km squares. If we study the vertical movement of the air, remember rising air causes rain, we see that air moves up and down in wave pattern over the mountains, at least in the 3 km and 1 km simulation. The terrain forced wave motion can enhance precipitation, leading to large local differences similar to what inhabitants have observed. 
Our experiments show that the square size matters. However, if we want to simulate the weather that locals observe in mountain areas, it is important that our models include the detailed terrain. When it comes to square sizes in numerical models, smaller is not always better. Surfing atmospheric waves, the morning glory phenomenon. A seismic written by Christine Flaquer Hewala. Imagine surfing a wave that is several kilometers long. Waves like this actually exist. However, they do not roll along the sea surface. You need to look up to find them, and you will need a hang glider to surf them. Let's have a look at the morning glory phenomenon. Morning glories are atmospheric waves that can be up to a thousand kilometers long and two kilometers high, and they travel at more than 60 kilometers per hour. We can only see these waves when clouds form within them. A morning glory cloud forms at the front of the wave, the updraft zone, where moist air rises, cools and condenses. If conditions are ideal, several of these sausage-like clouds may form at the same time. The clouds travel together with the moving atmospheric waves, creating a rolling appearance in the sky. They are rarely seen and require specific atmospheric conditions depending on location and the time of the year. Morning glory clouds arise most frequently above the Gulf of Carpentaria in northern Australia, usually between the dry and wet season in September and October. This area is where the morning glories are best understood and thus best predicted. Locals claim there is enough moisture in the air for the clouds to form when the fridge is frozen over and the cafe table's corner curl upwards at the Burgtown pub. Although the locals are right about the importance of moisture, something else also makes this gulf a hotspot for formation of these spectacular clouds. In addition to moist air, we need a medium the morning glory wave can travel in. In this case, the wave medium is relatively shallow layer of air where the temperature increases it with height. With such a medium, air will not penetrate far in the vertical but rather oscillate up and down horizontally, just like the waves on an ocean. In the Gulf of Carpentaria, a layer like this most often develops during the night, as the air over the ocean cools. Once we have a medium, we need something that flows into the medium and starts the wave, otherwise known as a wave ball. The wave ball traveling into the wave medium can be disturbances in the air that move together with the large scale flow towards and over the gulf. These disturbances are often related to the sea breezes that occur at the land-ocean interface, where land gets more rapidly heated during the day and cooled during the night than the ocean. When moist air, a wave medium, and a wave ball are present, one or a series of clouds may form creating a magnificent atmospheric show rolling in the direction of the wave. 
The show is over when the sun rises, heats the surface and tears the wave medium apart. Morning glories are relatively short-lasting events. In order to surf these rolling waves, hang gliders and glider pilots need to predict them. If they predicted them correctly, these early birds start gliding the way towards an amazing surfing adventure. But beware! If the clouds overtake them, then they may get into serious troubles with turbulence and strong winds. Otherwise, they can enjoy the morning glory's silver lining for hours on end. You have listened to a podcast from the Birkenes Center of Climate Research. The center is a joint venture between the University of Bergen, Norwegian Research Center Norse, Nansen Environmental and Remote Sensing Center, and the Norwegian Institute of Marine Research. The music is Arcade Montage by Lee Rosevier, available through a Creative Commons license. The podcast is read by Ingjald Pilskog and edited by me, Andreas Hadselupsvik. Read more from our young and early career scientists at seisnack.com.